Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm Val Crawford, and you can find out more about why I've launched this club at valcrawford.com. I'd love for you to join it, and trust me, it's not like a cult or pyramid scheme. It's literally just a club where you can come hang out. It's going to be a fun time. Join me for a podcast series where we'll hear the stories of girl boss women who are doing super cool things with their lives. We'll find out how they've done what they have, their self-love and self-care practices, and they'll share their tips to empower you to live your best life. Nat Kringutis is a doctor of Chinese medicine with 15 years experience and is known as the hormone revolutionist, super specialized in women's health and hormones. Nat is a best-selling author, podcaster, and speaker. We are so lucky to have Nat share her wealth of knowledge and tips on managing stress, our hormonal and overall health on the Self Love Club podcast. Nat, thank you so much and welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming in. We got introduced uh, through our friend Lola Berry. She's like, I've got to, I've got to help. I've got to like introduce you to some people. People you've got to get on the podcast. And I'm like, thank you. That's really helpful. <laughs> yeah, I could be really bad. You know nothing about me, maybe. No, <laughs> I've, I've had a look at your uh, in this world in 2019. We look at people's Instagrams and websites and That's stuff. That's a real judge of somebody, isn't it? <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> Isn't it sad? Like, oh, like what you know by their Instagram bio, what they do. Yeah, this person. So tell us about yourself. Yeah, well, um, my background is Chinese medicine. I'm a doctor of Chinese medicine, but um, have a really specialised interest in women's health and and hormones. So I've been in this industry for nearly 15 years, which makes me sound really old. No, you just started really young. That's the (laughs) way. Exactly. I was like 12 when I started. Yeah, I hadn't even Um, finished school. (laughs) (laughs) It's just this eight thing. No, Um, I. Yeah, and I just had an influx of women that needed help with their hormones that weren't getting answers. And, you know, nowadays there's a lot of experts and there's a lot of hormone Mm. experts, but I have been doing this for a really long time. So I've kind of seen it all. And it's really led me on a path of how I can really help women with everyday stuff. Like it's actually what we do each and every day that counts mm-hmm. most, not what we do in our doctor's office, not what we do with the diagnosis at that point in time. It's actually then what we do moving forward. And I think a lot of us forget that. Yes. So we just go to the worst case scenario and work backwards. So I'm all about teaching people how they can do the right thing, little things each and every day that really stack up. Yeah, we'll go into some more of that soon and, and in your advice for women. Obviously, they would need to come like see someone like you to really like for their own personal needs. But how did you get into doing what you do now? Yeah, well, that wasn't a choice. That was because of an influx of women knocking down my doors at the clinic saying, please help me. <laughs> and I actually didn't know how to help them. I was like, I don't know. The conditions that I was seeing weren't things that I'd learnt about because they were modern and we're living at a time where we're so overextended that that's actually impacting our health more than anything. But it's a new problem. We haven't had this for all of time. So, you know, helping women identify that and then looking at their signs and symptoms, which were really out of the box, um, that's how I landed here. But I didn't want to treat women's health. Yeah. What did you I, want to do? Not women's health, anything. Was but it women's health? health? Was that what you – did you know yeah, you wanted totally. to do Yeah, totally. I health? was – yeah, no, I was a practitioner at the time. And I, this is even before it was cool to – gut health is like, a you know, the latest craze. Oh, yeah, everyone's all about their gut health. Right. Mm. Um, and – this was before that. I wanted to treat gut health. I was like, this makes sense. It's very Chinese medicine philosophy. The gut is the epicenter. Everything, re- you know, relies on it working properly. So um, I I wanted to do that. And all these women kept asking and I kept saying no. Um, it's like it chose me. I didn't really choose it. And that's the thing with something that maybe you're meant to be doing. It just sort of has its way of working out. And, and the same thing with things you're not meant to be doing. They just don't work. And totally. You're like, oh. and absolutely. And I guess you're 
you're right. I, I started to lean into the idea that maybe this was presenting itself over and over and over again for a reason. Mm. Um, and then also me being comfortable with treating that because, like I said, I was seeing things that were outside of the – well, they weren't – they were outside of the box when it came to the medical model, but there were so many people with the same symptoms. So nowadays they're not outside of the box. The things that we see like endometriosis and polycystic ovarian syndrome and just even terrible period pain, um, they're newish – symptoms or problems that we didn't have 50 years ago. And what do you think is behind this? You know, like when you say we didn't have this 50 years ago, was it a case of it didn't exist or was it just people just went undiagnosed? Uh, Both, I think. It's not that it didn't exist, but I don't think it was as severe as it is nowadays. And I don't think we were testing as much. I think 50 years ago, rewind, you could either have children or you couldn't. Mm. And that was kind of where the line got drawn in the sand. Whereas nowadays, if you can't have children, we explore why that might be. It's usually one of, um, you know, five or six things, whether it's adenomyosis, endo, PCOS, these, you know, really common hormone imbalances. Um, But I also think that our modern lifestyles and what we subject our bodies to are basically just reacting to that. So, you know, being overworked, overextended, we work really long hours. We're exposed to chemicals in our environment that absolutely are known endocrine disruptors. Um, I guess the emotional side of our health has always been there. We're more aware of that now and that definitely impacts the way that our hormones behave as well. Um, and then, you know, even right down to nutrition and the quality of our food. I think most people now recognise that food is something we need to be aware of. Whether we take that on board or not is another thing. Um, but that certainly is something that still is going to impact the way that our hormones behave. So there's lots of little facets and it's a matter of kind of playing detective and working out where to start and which one's going to be or have the most amount of impact. Yeah, I mean, everyone's situation is different, but what are some tips for, like, in general that we could do to help our health in general? Like you say, living in a world where we're surrounded by a lot of different chemicals and, like, different things we're being exposed to. What are some things we can do to help with that? Yeah, well, I'll say this. Probably the number one hormone imbalance that I see is excess estrogen. So estrogen dominance is often what it's referred to as, and many conditions are fed by estrogen as well. So it's adding to the problem. Um, What I think it's important to understand is that our genes dictate what we're predisposed to. So if you've got a family history of endometriosis, you can't change your genes. That's your family history. And more than likely, if you do enough things to turn that on, it's going to present itself. So it's almost like flicking switches. You know, you think of your genes as, as they're, yeah, they're the hardwiring, but we can kind of manipulate the way that they behave. So if we know this, then we can start to look at what some of these stresses are that are, that are flicking the switches on mm. and we can flick them off. Yeah. And that makes sense. But, you know, I don't know if you studied biology, but in high school we did this experiment where you had a Petri dish mm. and you stuck one in an incubator and you popped one on the windowsill. And what grew because of the environment dictated what was actually in that Petri dish. We aren't any different as human beings. Something within our environment will either turn on or off, you know, your symptoms. So there's some really common um, and and very much the same thing over and over and over again, um, things that we can do. And then there's some that you do definitely need to go and speak to your healthcare practitioner for that are a little bit harder to yeah. decipher. But getting back to the whole estrogen dominance, because like I said, I would say maybe 90% of my patients are estrogen dominant. Um, we need to make sure that our body's clearing estrogen properly, but we need to also make sure that we're not exposing it to more than what it can handle. So this is when I speak about things like chemicals. It's a real really simple thing. It, the greener you can be, the, the less chemicals in your environment, on your body, in your body, that makes a very big difference. So, you know, chemicals in our shampoos, our conditioners, our makeup, everything, it's mm. everywhere. And fortunate for us, we're living at a time where it's not, 15 years ago, if you switched your shampoo to a, a greener, cleaner product, it felt like you were washing your hair with detergent. Oh, yeah. There's some very good products now. Yeah, there's heaps. You yeah. know, and, and I'm, look, I'm not going to switch out a product if it doesn't perform. No, I'm just I mean, not going to. That was the thing. I was trying to find shampoos that were like um, paraben-free and everything, yes. but they were stu- uh, like salon quality. Yeah. And I finally found one yeah. like last year. Um, but yeah, like exactly right. You're not going to stop using a product that you love 
to find the cleaner or greener alternative if it's not good. And you're right, like a lot of those products were horrible. Like, were. The deodorants didn't work, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And I think we've got to, we've got to live our life as well. Mm. So I don't want people listening to be like, right, go home, clear out the entire bathroom cabinet. That's probably going to cost you the best part of $500 to replace. That's stressful. Um, we don't want to create more stress because that just adds to the imbalance. So, you know, each time it, it's time to replace something, look at the alternative. That's what I say to people. How do you actually replace it with something that is going to not impact your hormones but perform at the same time and make you still feel like you're living your best life? Yeah. I don't want to wash my hair in something that feels like detergent. I just don't. <laughs> I have no interest. No, we spend too much money on our hair to absolutely, be doing that. You know? Absolutely. So minimising those chemicals in our body products, and the reason that is is because those chemicals mimic estrogen in our body. So they're not estrogen as such, but they mimic estrogen. So your body doesn't know the difference between its own estrogen and that. So it's kind of like adding to the estrogen pile, if that makes sense. That's so interesting that like things like cleaning products can influence your estrogen levels. Absolutely. Like that, blow, I don't, like that blows my mind. I'm like, how does that, how does that work? That's exactly how. So it does. It, it, the molecular structure looks very similar. Your body just goes, oh yeah, that's estrogen. I know how to to get rid of that. But the more it piles up, the longer it takes to get rid of or the harder it is to get rid of. Or when our bodies are under a lot of stress, it might choose a dangerous way of getting rid of it. And this is when we can go down the whole rabbit hole of cancers and and estrogen associated cancers, breast cancers, those sorts of things. So we always want to be steering our body to perform at its best. And simple fixes like removing chemicals is going to have a really big impact. Um, one other really great tip I will say, and it's not the easiest, but it starts with being aware, is managing our stress. We've, we're living at a time where I think stress is, if we're not stressed, we're not successful. Mm. You know, we've, got, we've adopted this idea that if I'm not under pressure, I'm not going to get a job done. It's not going to be as effective. I'm not bringing my A game. And that couldn't be far further from the truth, to be, you know, brutally honest. You've, you've, you can perform and get something done amazingly in 30 minutes when you're on. But when you're not on and you try and do something, it might take you a day. Mm. And we've all done this. We've sat there and procrastinated, tried to get something done. We're not, you know, operating from our best self. And then, you know, the consequence of that is that it takes us a really long time. We're very stressed in doing it and we're just not performing optimally. So managing stress is huge. And it, it starts with just being aware, you know, am I stressed right now? And if I am, what am I stressed about? Mm. We don't stop and kind of take a step back very well. And certainly I'm not not saying you just need to relax because you probably want to punch me in the face if you hear (laughs) me say, hey, just relax. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, you and everyone else keeps telling me. But I say to people, how do we take a step back and then observe? It's a very different space of operation. You're still actually relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> but you're just, you're just taking a step back yeah. and kind of going, what happens if I didn't react right now? What happens? You're really upsetting me and I'm really being triggered because I am in this fight or flight, you know, um, behaviour. But what happens if I didn't react? Is it going to matter? Mm. And just starting to ask the questions, what am I stressed about? Am I stressed about running five minutes late for an appointment? Does it really matter? Am I, you know, is it life or death? No, probably not. So just starting to get some awareness and really managing that. And I think that's where it starts. It doesn't start with some massive overhaul. It just starts with starting to ask yourself the question. And then bringing in little affirmations I find really helps. i tell you a funny story. I was listening to a podcast and, as you do. Of course, like, <laughs> like all of the podcasts. Everyone's all about podcasts now. All right. And, um, and it was just one of those weeks where I was, I was exhausted. I was stressed. There was a lot going on. We are renovating my clinic. And they did this thing at the start where they're like, oh, what are you grateful for? And I'm rolling my eyes. I'm like, oh, for heaven's sake, what are we grateful for? And, you know, I practice gratitude too. But sometimes you just don't want to hear yes, it, right? Yeah. So anyway, they're going around and the, this, the co-host goes, well, I'm really grateful. My son's at this beautiful school and beautiful teacher. And I found myself thinking, oh, yeah, but that's going to end. You know, he's going to go into a different grade next year. He's going <laughs> to not have that teacher next year. And I caught myself and it was like, you know, I had this, this glance into the window of my subconscious, which we're not privy to all the time. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that is not okay, Nat Kringu. Just like, and then I had this, like, recollection that I'd pro- probably been operating out of that same thought space for several weeks. Mm. It's like, hang on, this is familiar. I've thought this before and I've thought this recently. And then all of a sudden... 
I identify that I was really operating out of this place of scarcity. And I'm like, no, I don't want that anymore. So I marched up to my desk, pulled out a notepad and I was in a bad mood, but I knew it was going to help and just created my one liner or my affirmation or whatever you want to call it. And it was that there's always going to be more. So every time that I started to feel a little bit stressed or upset or whatever, I just kept saying to myself, there's always going to be more. There's always going to be more. And that comes from a really positive place. And I think we need to bring in affirmations, not just when we're stressed, but when things are good as well. Mm. So if you have your one liner and say that's your one liner for the month, just invite it in all the time and save it in your phone, have it flash up, you know, to remind you, put a sticky note on your mirror, pop one in the car somewhere, like just have it everywhere and just constantly be bringing in whatever it is that you're identifying with that, because that's stressful, but stress also impacts our estrogen because it actually pulls the handbrake on our other major hormone, progesterone. So when progesterone's low, estrogen's high, and it just has this knock-on effect again, that becomes quite dangerous. So Stress is another way that we can balance our hormones better um, for us to then be able to kind of get a handle on things, even as simple as period pain. You do, you might not realise how tied in your period pain is to your stress. Mm. So uh, patients will come and they'll say, oh, I've been on holidays. I didn't have any pain this month. I'll be like, oh, wow, surprise, surprise. Like it's yeah. not revolutionary, but because we're living so you know, not in the moment, so quickly, so moving to the next thing, we just, we don't, we discount these things and they really do, the little things really add up. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, yeah, like you say, there's a lot of attitudes around being busy is like being successful. We have to be busy, like crazy busy. And it's like, yeah, we have like long to-do lists. We want to achieve things. But like you say, maybe it's taking a little bit of a break to do some like a meditation or going for a quick walk or just taking some deep breaths. And then when you come back to your work, you're actually going to be able to achieve way more and it won't take you as long. And that affirmation that there's always more, I think it applies to everything. There's always going to be more emails. Mm. There's always going to be more on that to-do list. There's always going to be more. There's that's, But that's, how do we see that from an abundance state? Not a, oh gosh, I'm so busy. I've got to get to the end of this list. You're never going to get to the end of the list because mm. you're always going to be adding more to it because that's what life is. So I just think being aware of that and inviting in that that abundance mentality rather than that stressed mentality, it's just awareness. It's just a shift in awareness. It's, a, it's looking at things a little bit differently, mm. isn't it? Rather than a negative thing, it's looking at it in a positive way. And I think also, like, I mean, we're learning more and more and as meditation, you know, apps are becoming more commonly used. The power of the mind is so, like... And, but it's, it's also so about important. finding your way. You know, I resisted meditation for a long time because I just don't like it. Like I really don't like it, but I know it's good for me. Yeah. So, it's a Same. little bit like Brussels like, oh, sprouts, you, you know. Once you get into it, you're fine. And now it's a habit, but it's just, it can be really hard to get into it, you know. Yeah. So I, I just adapted this non-meditation meditation. I'm like, I, I call it the non-meditation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> And yeah. that's just because that's what my mind needs. My brain needs me to not see it as meditation. It just needs me to see it as like a reset. And if I, if I remove the word, then I can do it. But if I think, oh yeah, I'm just going to sit and meditate, I'll procrastinate. For, for as long as it needs to happen. <laughs> You're like, I really should meditate, but I've got all these other things to do first. Yes, yeah, exactly. But I know life's better when I do it. Yeah, definitely. So that's one of your self-care practices. What are some of your other self-care practices that you use and you um, suggest to your clients that they should maybe adopt as mm. well? So, I mean, nutrition, you cannot skimp on it. And we want to try. We really do. Um, if I had a dollar for every time someone's like, oh, but does it really matter, Nat? I'm like, if that's the only one thing you're doing, it has a massive impact. Your body, your cells require certain things to operate and perform optimally. And if they're not there, they're not there. They can't do that. So if you're not feeding it the right things, well, you're never going to be performing from that state that's of abundance mm-hmm. and, and where things work properly. Um, but I had this privilege of interviewing Dr. Tom O'Brien. He's an expert when it comes to gut health and gluten and all sorts of things, autoimmune. And he said to me at the very beginning of our of our episode, he said, Nat, food is either of benefit or deficit. There is no in between. And it was a really powerful statement and really resonated with me because I was like, oh my goodness, that is so spot on. It's either going to take you exactly where you don't want to go or exactly where you do want to go. There isn't a grey area in this. Mm. So I think we need to, again, we still need to live our life and we still need to enjoy life and food brings joy for most of us. Yeah. So how do we, how do we make sure that we're nutritionally ticking boxes, but also have a little leeway to enjoy the other things as well? And this is that, you know, 80-20 rule. We've heard this many times before, but 
we do need to, you know, reduce the inflammatory foods, the sugar, the gluten, the dairy, the bit, the, the ones we could eat forever in a day um, and really replace those with whole foods. Fat and protein for me is really key with my patients because our hormones are made of fat and protein. So if we're not eating that at every meal, then we're not supplying our body with the, those macronutrients, all those micronutrients and macronutrients. So that's a non-negotiable for my patients. Um, and I also, gut health being such a big factor, I try and get patients to eat fairly, um, almost blandly. It's a lot easier to digest, not without taste, but uh, just fairly similar, like similar meals, similar things. So if you look at my plate on any given day, often of an evening, there'll be broccoli, Brussels sprouts, like always actually, and, and asparagus. Those three are Yum. almost always on my plate, but they do so much for my body. Broccoli is amazing for helping to clear estrogen. Um, asparagus is a prebiotic, so it helps the probiotics grow. It's great for you know, high in fiber. You're going to be able to go to the bathroom when you're doing that. Um, Brussels sprouts as well. They also contain similar, um, these cruciferous veggies help us to clear estrogen from our body. Um, and there's obviously also vitamins and minerals in these foods as well. So that will be probably five times a week on my plate and I don't waver on it and it's just an easy go-to. Yeah, it's, like, it's not hard to do. I know that it works, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't need to be this elaborate um, cooking regime that you need to all of a sudden adopt. It's just actually quite simple when you when you sort of pare it down. Yeah, you don't need to make these big, huge, fancy meals. Like you can just steam some or like lightly, you know, like saute some like in some olive oil or yes, some like whatever you want to do. Totally. Um, it doesn't need to be a big deal. And once you, I think sometimes for some people getting into those practices and working out those foods can be a little bit tricky. It's like once you work that out and then you're in a little bit of a regime sort of with it, it can be a lot easier. So if someone's at a starting point where they're like, well, how can I, you know, eat better and nourish my body better. What are some other things maybe they could be eating or doing to just start, like rather yeah. than get overwhelmed by like what yeah. should I shouldn't be eating? Yeah, I think if you're looking at a few things actually I'll say, it's not just what you're eating, it's also when you're eating. So there's a lot of research into fasting nowadays and it's a bit of a buzz again like gut health, but done safely and properly, it's great um, and, and certainly something that I've changed my patients' lives with. But so it's it's having a rest. It's not that you're not eating. It's just having a rest and it's definitely overnight. So whilst your body's sleeping, it's really important to have at least 12 hours between meals. So, I mean, that's not hard. That's seven till seven. <laughs> but we don't, you know, the nighttime is often when we're, we're sitting on the couch watching television. We're still eating at 10 o'clock. It's mm. not really ideal. So really having that break for at least 12 hours is really important for um, your gut restoration, repair, everything that it's not doing when you're eating. So digestion is just one aspect of the gut. It's everything else. It's your emotion center. It's, it's It forms around 80% of your immune system, makes hormones. So much else happens there other than just digestion. So it's allowing it to do that as well. Um, and then we want to also maximise digestion. So it's not something that takes four days mm. <laughs> for you to get rid of from start to finish, but that's an effective system as well. So warm cooked foods is really um, important for my patients because it's easy to, to digest as opposed to cold and raw foods. And just check in with how you feel. If you eat a ton of you know, cold, raw, uncooked veggies, for example, it sits for a lot of people really heavy in your stomach. Um, and that's just one example. You, you, digestion occurs at around 37 degrees. So if you're, you're filling it with cold and raw things that are hard to digest, it's a bit of a disaster for a lot of people. Um, so pulling back on that, and even if it's just blanched or just slightly warmed up, that's going to be a lot easier to digest. Um, one other thing I'd say is to, if, you, if you're looking at, you know, these inflammatory foods and where to start with that, maybe pulling back on gluten is a really good one to start with if you have a hormone imbalance. Um, that, that will, a lot of people will respond to that, especially those that have a lot of pain. So pain is just inflammation at the end of the day. And if you're adding more inflammation to an already inflamed body, that's going to contribute to the pain. So for a lot of people, removing that or minimising that really helps. Um, and uh, the other thing that I would say is also our digestive system um, requires us to it, it, it to sort of turn over and clean itself out. And so drinking plenty of water is mm. going to help as well. Um, and that's, I mean, I'm bad at that. I'll oh, be I'm to trying admit. to be better. Like I'm often, when I'm in my normal like working day, I'm like really good. But then when you're doing other things, you sort of, 
you forget and then you feel your drink bottle and you're like, oh, I haven't had that much. I haven't filled up that many times, you know. It's the funny thing about drinking enough water is once you get in the flow of it, you're actually thirsty for it and your body will ask for it. And a lot of people go, oh, yeah, but now I'm really thirsty. I'm like, well, your body's actually performing now. It's working properly. So the more you drink, the kind of the more you need. But that's also important. It's, you, you know, for everything to be hydrated, but for your bowels to work better, for you to clear toxins out of your body, um, for your liver health too. Your liver also plays a role in estrogen detoxification. So that's really important too. And I'm not talking about detox in inverted commas. This is just normal body processes. So this detoxification that it does is normal. It's doing it all the time. But if it can't do it properly, this is when we're going to also see other issues with hormone problems and imbalance. So by looking after the gut, does that in, does that then look after the liver or do you need to do different things to look after your liver? Um, slightly different, but one and the same. So increasing fibre is really useful to help clear out excess estrogen, but it also helps with this liver detoxification as well. So things have multiple benefits. You know, increasing fibre, we, we associate that with, oh, well, my bowels will move better if I increase mm. fibre. You're probably not thinking about it, detoxifying, helping with detoxification or um, moving oestrogen out. We, we don't think of it in that sense. So it, things are twofold often. Um, so anything that we can, yeah, help with that elimination process is also going to help your, your liver as well. Um, but they are slightly different in the way that obviously their roles that they play, um, but both equally important in hormone balance. Because you, when you talk about you know bodies being estrogen dominant, how does a body get rid of extra estrogen? Yeah, so there's there's several ways it does that. So the gut we know is one way of clearing estrogen. We've got certain. Well, now where it's all new, fairly new research, but there was a, a study that came out the year before last, and they were able to confirm they 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 watched a group of women with breast cancer, and they were able to look at their gut bacteria and microbiome and discovered that they all lacked a certain strain of bacteria. And this certain strain of bacteria helped with estrogen clearing in the body. So we're not at a point where we can just take the one bacteria that was missing, but where we know that we need to just constantly work on the gut as a whole. And this is where pre and probiotics are really important. And your probiotics are the the good bacteria. So we want to continually be colonizing that. Um, so the gut is one way. The liver is another, as we just spoke about. So the phase two of detox in, of the liver, that's responsible for converting and clearing um, estrogen testosterone. So making sure that that's happening efficiently. And again, we spoke about fiber. Um, there's a few other things that you can bring in from a, you know, um, a practitioner point of view that we would prescribe for people to help with that as well. Um, there's an element of the thyroid being responsible for helping to clear estrogen as well. Um, so there's, you know, there's more than one way, but it all works together. Yeah. And so if one of those facets is missing, obviously other areas of the body have got to step up and work harder. Um, and sometimes we get to a point where we just can't efficiently do that anymore. So nothing we do is, is you know, it's all multifaceted. It's not just for one thing only. It has this knock-on effect to help to support the body as a whole. And I think I think that's part of what we've been missing in terms of the medical model. We we really focus on one system, your endocrine system, or your um, I don't know, your enteric system, or whatever it might be. Your gut. Or, it all works together. Mm. So by supporting the body on the whole is yeah. really, really important. You kind of can't really compartmentalize it. I know we want to, and I've seen this time and time again. My little boy has a genetic condition, which means that his lungs don't work properly. And the focus very much is all about the lungs. But I'm like, yeah, but they don't operate. They're not lone riders. The lungs don't just work on their own. You've got to look at the entire body to make sure that all these things we've been speaking about, the gut, the liver, everything, your kidneys, whatever else is involved um, for optimal body function. So if you can support everything, and like I said, starting with nutrition is a great place Mm. and, and managing stress, then you're off to a really good start. I think that's the thing with um with women who maybe have an issue and they and their doctors haven't been able to help them with it. Um, I hear and I remember myself. I had a hormone imbalance when I came off the pill years ago, and I had a um, really low progesterone and got mm. put on progesterone treatment. But like it's it can feel quite overwhelming because you're like. I've got to sort thyroid stuff or like, you know, the story, thyroid gut and liver. And you're like, oh, it just seems like a, a, like it just seems like a lot. But and finding say, the right person can be really oh, hard. Absolutely. But can I say if you just start with your gut, no matter what, whatever the condition is, it has it definitely has a knock-on effect. So I give patients a list in the clinic. These are the nine things we're going to be working on or we need to consider. But we're only going to start with the first two. 
And I know that probably eight times out of 10, we only ever need to do the first two because everything else then sorts itself out. Right. So it's a bit of a process of elimination, but you can't ever get get it wrong if you start with your digestive health. Mm. You can't go wrong there. So that's where the non-negotiable would be for me. You have to do that work. You have to repair that. You have to support it. You have to look after gut permeability, make sure that the cells of the gut are nice and tightly packed together, as well as the contents of the, the microbiome or the bacteria. Um, and that's a great place to start. But what I want to touch on with you just saying that, often when women come off the pill, one of two things happens. They either have really low hormones that just don't work at all because they've been flatlined whilst they've been on the pill. So the body's like, oh, I've got to remember how to do this. It's going to take me a little bit of time to work that out. Or in your instance, you had really low progesterone, but normally low progesterone is in the presence of high estrogen. Mm, yeah. So what ha- happens, you might go to your doctor and they'll say, oh, you've got next to no, no progesterone. Yeah, that was- We're going to give you progesterone. Problem with that is estrogen's still high. So you're still going to have a lot of these symptoms until you actually lower your estrogen, which we've spoken about in length, which is great. So when you actually lower or manage your estrogen and get your body to clear that better, progesterone naturally rises. Right. So it's it's really interesting and we're learning more and more. But I see this in the clinic all the time. And this is what I say, most women are estrogen dominant in yeah. some form. So clearing estrogen actually will allow progesterone to then start to perform. And progesterone we need for so many things, mm. you know. It's a natural diuretic. So if you're getting bloated all the time or you've got um, edema, you know, maybe we need to look into that. Um, it helps us to sleep better. It helps with our bones, our, our you know, the whites of our eyes to be white for us to feel alive and vibrant. Progesterone is a really feel-good hormone. And so is estrogen to a degree. It's when they're out of balance that mm. we feel awful. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really common thing. You know, women go on the pill and then you come to a point when you come off it. And I just don't feel like there's enough education around it. You know, you sort of, I I remember, you know, I didn't really know much about it and just decided I didn't want to take it anymore because I was like, did a bit of research. And I was like, for me personally, I just didn't, I couldn't be on many of them, quite sensitive. And then I just decided I didn't want to be on it anymore. And yeah, I like terrible moods, like got quite down, like quite depressed. Um, my skin was terrible. Mm-hmm. And that, to be honest with you, that hormonal um, acne like or hormonal spots around my chin has been like an issue for years afterwards. Mm. Like I, there's certain things I've been able to do to help it, but I tried everything and nothing really fully got rid of it. Um, is now a good time to say that I have a book? Yeah, no, I was going to ask you about your <laughs> I'm book. I'm joking. I'm being silly. I'm no, like, no, now's no. an excellent time. No, because um, I actually was going to ask about your book, but I was going with the flow of the combo, you know. No, I was just being silly. Um, I was like, <laughs> now we insert the book. So so this is, you're so right, and so many women don't know, but also we get to a point where I, I see women when they're really broken, when they've been living with the same imbalance for five to ten years, and can I say how much harder it is to fix something that's been there for five to 10 Mm. years than when it first arrived? Um, So I identified this and um, we've just released my latest book is called Beautiful You and it's all about helping young women understand their bodies better, um, what your options are. I talk about contraception. I talk about all of them. I talk about, you know, what they do, why they can't fix the problem. It's one thing to use contraception for contraception. It's another to use it to fix a problem. Mm. Unfortunately, it can't ever fix a hormone imbalance. It can help you manage your symptoms. Um, but I also find that that's only short-lived. It's not sustainable either, that these problems creep back in again. So educating women on what that might be. If you have acne, what is that telling you? What is your body trying to communicate? You have period pain. What does that mean? You're gaining weight. What does that mean? So I go through all of this um, and, you know, the book really dives quite deeply into even the emotional side of our hormones. Um, It's aimed at young women to set them up for the long game. But everyone that's getting the book is saying, why do you keep marketing this at young women? It's for all women. And I'm like, I know that. But yeah, but it's helpful if young women have this information early on, it's going to help them in their lives so much more. Like, Well, I think that we have an opportunity to change the, the landscape of women's health. I know in my experience, I'm watching women in their 30s and 40s that are completely heartbroken that say to me, if only I knew what you're telling me 15 years ago. Mm. And that to me is... It is. It's heartbreaking because it could have been avoided. And so, but it all comes down to education. And look, don't get me wrong, whatever we've been given and whatever solutions we've been given, whoever's telling us to do that is doing the best that they can with the information that they have. So the problem for me is that often you're going to your GP and being prescribed something that really your gynecologist or your endocrinologist needs to look into. Mm. However, your GP is your first point of call. And again, don't get me wrong, there's some fantastic GPs out there, but they're not all one and the same. So if you don't have a, a specialist interest in hormone health, it can be 
a bit of a disaster because you're being prescribed something that's sold to you as a, as a solution when the solution's only short term. Yeah, and I hear of a lot of women who have endometriosis and they'll get put on like a marina IUDs to fix it. Like so many girls I know and that I work with and everything, they're like, oh yeah, I'm good on this for my endo. And like, why do they do that? But let's ask ourselves the question, why are we seeing so much endo? Like we asked at the beginning and yeah. it comes back to this lifestyle yes. that we're talking about. So the, the problem is, you can't just put in the marina and think that the bo- that it stops there, that you've solved that. What we could do is we could put the marina in and then start to adjust all these things that we've been speaking about and then with the aim of it coming out because it's not the long-term solution. The problem with any medication, whether it's the marina, the pill and implanon, even thyroid medication or blood pressure medication, while sometimes some of that is necessary, it still disrupts gut function. And this is the core again of health. Mm. So it's this vicious cycle. If you're taking it to manage your endo, but your endo is actually a result of your poor gut health and the pill is making your gut health worse, where do you get off that hamster wheel? So you've got to break the cycle somewhere and starting, like I said, again, starting with the gut is really important to make inroads. But just relying on a medication alone, Mm. it it can't ever treat the problem fully. The same with... um, you know, you might get a pap smear that comes back that you get results that you really aren't great. Um, if that happens and you go in and you just remove those abnormal cells that are, that are presenting, you're only removing evidence of the problem. Why are the abnormal cells growing? What in your environment is turning that on to happen? Start to get curious mm. and use your symptoms to ask you these questions. I've been that person. I've had the, the, the bad pap smear show up. I've gone in and then I had to assess. I was... It, extremely stressed at the time and I I have an amazing doctor and I just said to her can I have some time to try and fix this and she said yeah you've got three months and me knowing my body and being able to see the signs and symptoms and watching um, what it was showing me I knew that when I went back for that pap smear three months later I actually knew that it was going to be fine because my body was actually showing me that you know Mm. things had changed and improved so we've Symptoms, whilst we find them completely annoying, are actually your best clues as to what's going on and whether you actually are recovering from things as well. Mm. Going back to your book, like, well done. I like, Thank you. I like, for me, writing a book is like, I think that's a huge achievement because it's a lot of work um, and it's a, it's, a huge, it's a huge project to do. So sort of where did that come from? Obviously, you've been helping women especially for a long time. Mm-hmm. How did the book come into things? Yeah, so it's been a bit of a natural progression. This is actually my fourth book, but um, I haven't had a book out for four years. Um, so it's a long time in between books, which isn't... But I- still four. Like, even one, I'm just like, wow, a book, and then four I books. Know, right? like- well, yeah, I was really fortunate to just, you know, have that opportunity. So this book's actually really quite interesting. It's on the back of my last book was very much about setting women up for... Um, fertility, pregnancy and beyond Um, because that's really where I made my mark in the clinic and where women were coming to seek the most amount of help. You know, as a young woman, yeah, you're interested in your hormones, but you aren't really interested in your hormones Mm. until you want to have a baby and they're not working. That's when you really want to actually dig deep and work it out. So I guess that allowed me to write that book. And again, in doing that, I recognized that I needed to get to these women earlier. And this book now, actually, I have been writing it for four years, even though I haven't had a book deal for four years. I probably signed that, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, It's been in my head for four years because I'm like, I need to help these young women understand their bodies. But also I need to help, well, I need to help all women understand their bodies. We did some research in putting this book out and we discovered that 80% of of mothers were not satisfied with what their daughters were being taught in high school when it came to their sexual and reproductive health, Mm. that that they didn't think it was adequate, which is terrible. And what was happening is, what is happening as a result of that is these girls are Googling all sorts of things to get answers. And if you Google anything to do with your sexual health, you, you're pretty much going to land on a porn site at some point. Yeah. So what's happening is that these these young women, their expectations of what their first sexual experience is going to be like, what that you know how they should look, how they should act, how they should behave, is based on something that's a fantasy on the internet. Yes. And that's a disaster. No, definitely. Um, so, you know, just getting women to understand their bodies, even in the book, we dive right into that. Like, should I be having sex? When's the right time to have sex? And no one really ever said to me as a young woman, well, sex should be fun. It shouldn't be awful. It shouldn't be, you know, yes, you might be a bit nervous. It might be a bit exciting, but it shouldn't be horrible. No. And if it's anything other than that, well, maybe it's not right. And that's mm. okay. Like, you know, that's yours. You hold on to it until you're such a time that you're ready. Um, so we really dive into that. 
the other thing I really love in the book is there's a whole chapter on Q&A. So all the things that you wanted to ask your doctor or your mum or whoever, but you never had the guts to do. <laughs> um, so that was quite fun to write as well. But yeah, I think that us as as the next generation of, of women, you know, with these teens, the next obviously behind us, we, if we don't understand how our body works, how can we pass that wisdom on to them? We just can't. We don't have it. And I even asked the question in the survey, do you know the difference between your vagina and your vulva? And 40% of grown women did not know the difference. We just call it a vagina. But what you're actually seeing is your vulva. Mm. That's what's on the outside. So, you know, we don't even have the correct terminology. So we've all got so much to learn and I don't think we can ever stop learning. So I think that, yeah, whilst it's aimed at young women, I think women in general, we don't understand our bodies well in this area because maybe we've used the pill to mask it. Maybe no one's ever told us. It's, we've seen it embarrassing up until this point. I think for boys, puberty's fun, you know, to a degree. It's not really not fun whilst they're living it, but we laugh about it. It's lighthearted. It's, you know, oh, it's a transition. When a woman gets her period, it's very serious very quickly. Yeah. Because it's all about it's falling scary. pregnant, right? It's scary yeah. because, and no, you know, no one wants a teen pregnancy, but at the same time, if there was a teen pregnancy, it's not the end of the world, yes, you know? Like, yeah. it's we're not living in 1902 and you're not going to be banished to some, you know, shed Shipped somewhere. Away, yeah, yeah, right? So, yeah, so whilst that's not wanted, um, you know, that's certainly not our aim, the biggest gift we can give to ourselves is actually understanding how our body works and lean in and work with it, not against it. But we tend to default to working against it and trying to turn off all these body functions to prevent something, pregnancy, that you can only really fall pregnant two or three days of the month anyway. Yes. So it's like, why are we doing that? And the, the the greater cost to that is the hormone imbalance that a lot of these contraceptives actually cause. So if we know this and we can make an informed choice around our contraception, I'm not saying you shouldn't take it. I'm just saying, can we know what it does and can we support our body whilst we're taking it? And if we are using it to treat a problem, we need to actually fix the problem. Mm, yeah. When did you start, um, obviously you've been practising for a long time, when did you you get your own practice or did you sort of do that from the beginning? I did it from the beginning because there was no other option. 15 years ago, you didn't get to work for somebody else. And what's interesting is, I guess, you either made it or you didn't. You know, (laughs) there's no in between with this. So, you know, I'm kind of, I guess it's only now and in doing a lot of interviews, obviously for the book and what I do, that I get to reflect and kind of be a little bit proud for that. Yeah, I, you I should probably be so never, proud. I haven't really for all of this time because you just, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those pe- people that just go to the next thing. What's yeah, next? What's definitely. next? What's next? But, you know, now looking back, I'm like, wow, we've done that for a really long time and we've, we've you know, I know most businesses fail within, the you know, the first 18 months and mm. we've done nearly 15 years. So, you know, we've done a lot of things wrong. Don't get me, don't don't misunderstand that. But we've obviously done some things that are right as well. What did it look like in the beginning when you first started your oh, business? Hilarious. Like, what, how did things work? Like what how what were you doing? Uh, everything. <laughs> yeah. So we had, uh, we were practicing initially from one room. I had a business partner at the time. I bought her out later on. But we had one room in the front of her house and that was our office. That was our office our clinic, our waiting room, our massage, everything was in the one room. You didn't get, you had, there was a chair out the front door. It was a bit of a disaster really. Um, I was also traveling to to country Victoria. I grew up in Mildura in the country. I was traveling back and forth treating in Mildura and I was really busy. So that was amazing because Mm. there was nobody there doing what I, what I do. So um, I got to get a lot of experience very quickly. And then I, um, I eventually bought out my business partner, but I very much stepped into the online world of, um, you know, putting yourself out there. And that's really where things went gangbusters for me because there was nobody doing it. Um, you know, this is sort of six or seven years ago. No one was really talking about things publicly like we are today when it mm. came to women's health. Um, and so I was really lucky. I just pretty much each each thing I stepped into I kind of was riding a wave and it grew very quickly and then I'd plateau and it grew very quickly. Mm. So I kind of anticipate that the same thing might happen with this book because we are stepping into this space of young women's health. And it, it's not that it's not been done, but it, I don't think it's been done fully. And I think we hold a lot of the facts back because we don't want girls to grow up too quickly or, you know, for whatever reason it might be. But I, I really don't think it needs to be age appropriate, but we need to give the facts. You know, even when your five-year-old daughter says to you, mummy, where do babies come from? I don't think we need to pretend that a, a bird delivers it on the doorstep. Like I really <laughs> I don't think most of us thought that. Right? Yeah. I really don't think that's doing a service. I think mm. that each time someone asks us and we have 
facts. We should be presenting that. And kids aren't attached emotionally like we are as adults. We've had an emotional experience around our sexual health or sex in general. They haven't. So when you present it to them, they don't, they don't respond in the way that you think that they're going to. I know my daughter, she did sex ed not long ago and we were talking about, and I've always sort of, well, not always, but certainly in the last maybe four or five years, tried to be as honest as I can with her, but make it age appropriate. Of course. They don't need to know everything. No. So she said, you know, at one point, oh, where do babies come from? Oh, well, I've got eggs. Daddy's got sperm and the egg and the sperm need to get together. And she's like, okay, well, that makes sense. And anyway, so (laughs) we're after the last lot of sex ed and it was really great. She sits down and she says, so hang on. You've got eggs. He's got sperm. How do they get together? Uh-huh. And I was like, right, well, mummy and daddy have to spend time together and then we need to choose to do that. That's something that we choose to do to make a baby. And she was like, wait. She goes, <laughs> she goes, wait, so you could make a baby today? And I said, well, you have to remember how, you know, we talked about you have an egg and it has to be released and then that can be fertilised and then, yes, if it's implanted, that's how babies made. She was like. You're telling me I could have a sister and you are not doing this? <laughs> I love she it. She did not care about sex. <laughs> she cared about the fact that I was holding back the baby. Aww. And and I said, no, we, so we're not sweet. having any more babies. But she's like, but you could if you wanted to. I'm like, yeah, well, maybe we could if we wanted to. Some people have trouble doing that. You know, there's lots of, it's not as easy as that. But yes, that's the process. But it was really cute because here we are anticipating she's going to be like, oh, that's disgusting or. Which is what most children are like. That's so gross. Like, please tell, I remember saying to mine, I was like, please tell me you only did it three times (laughs) because three of us in the family. And then mum was like, of course. And then dad was like, you're a liar. I know, right? That's the thing. And, but my son, who's who's younger, Livy's 10, Geordie's six, seven. He's just turned seven. Um, he was the one that was savvy. He's like, oh, you got to hug and kiss and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you kind of do have to hug and kiss and stuff. So, you know, they guide the conversation when they're ready. They ask the questions when they're ready to learn. Um, and I was certainly not telling, you know, her as a three-year-old that mummy and daddy had sex to make her. But um, I think that the, so long as we're constantly pre- presenting the truth and the facts, then it's beautiful because it just becomes this organic. It's their norm. Like Correct. it's normal. It's nothing wrong. It's just exactly. Na- it's and it, then it's not taboo either. Yes. You know, we're not, I don't want my daughter to not tell me things. I want her to ask me for what she needs. I don't want it to be hidden. The reality is they're doing it anyway as teenagers. Mm. So how do we not push against and just invite it in support? Just educate them and, yeah. and how to make good you know decisions. This generation of teenagers are actually the smartest, the most respectful, the less likely to do drugs. They're socially conscious. They they are, they far surpass us. Mm. And yet we're constantly telling them that they're this, that and the other. And it's almost like they're, they're now looking at it going, well, you're giving me this expectation that you think that I need to live up to. So I'm going to go and be a brat anyway because you're giving me permission to do it. So I think we just need, again, that comes back to supporting them. And I know that it's it's slightly off topic, but I think it's really important that we have these conversations to support human beings in general, no matter what age or phase or stage. Yeah, totally. Now, you've built yourself a career by working really hard and going with it. It was all meant to be, like you say in the beginning, you didn't want to treat women's health, but it kept happening. What is your advice to women and men who really, you know, they're really passionate about something, they want to create something, they want to build a career for themselves? What would your advice to them be? I always say to, I mentor um, now as well, people in the health industry that want to make a career out of that because it's not easy. Um, And I always say to my mentees, what do you find fun? What's the one thing you love to do? Because that's your lane. And how do we get you to be the expert in that lane? there's no point jumping into my lane because you might hate it or it's just not organically innate. It's not something that you are good at more than likely. So generally what we find fun, we're usually pretty good at. I love marketing. Like I love it. And I never knew this up until, you know, I started doing what I'm doing now. My favorite thing to do is to to actually get out there and and I don't want to use the word sell because that's not the right thing, but sell me basically. Mm, I want people to buy into my information, you Mm. know? Yeah. Um, so I say to, 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 that's the first thing I'll say, what is it that you find fun? What do you love doing? Where's, where does your passion lie? And it doesn't need to be what my passion is. It needs to be what your passion is. But I, I think if we don't do that, we end up pretending to be something that we're not. And it does, it's not you sustainable. You can't carry it on, no, can it you? it never works. If I've been in this industry long enough to be able to say, I call Lola too. Lola and I have spoken about this a lot, where you could see 
those people that have just fallen away because they were not authentic. Mm. They were not transparent. They were not authentic. They pretended to be something that they weren't. And that just doesn't work. So if we can get you to actually work out what that is and then work out and get really aligned to who you are, what you're doing and why you're doing it, then everything else is so much easier. But I, I get my mentees to, I really get them to drill it down. I really want them to know who they are as an expert. Who are you? What do you do? If I meet you in an elevator, I know we call it almost an elevator pitch, but not even. It's like, give them a title, work out what that is, have this catchphrase that that you can just deliver over and over again, because you're so solid in knowing who you are and what you deliver. Um, but the one thing I will say to you in doing that is, you know, innately in your gut, whether that's the right lane for you to be in. And if it doesn't feel right to do do not do it. It's just not your thing. Mm. And that's fine. There's something else there sitting right there ready for you. But sometimes we can't know what that is when we don't create the space for that to present itself. So for example, the, you know, me treating women's health and hormones, I did resist that for a really long time, but there was space there that kept allowing that to come in. Mm. I wasn't too busy with everything else. It was sort of like, I see this over and over again, you've almost got it. Again, it's that same thing, taking the step back, allowing some space to really see what's there. Um, when we when we put too many things in the mix, we can't know what that is. So it is tricky to say, can you just take a step back and not do anything for a minute? I did an interview with an amazing um, marketer. Her name's Alita Rodriguez. She's um, Milk at Academy is a brand. Anyway, she said that she developed this, um, whatever you call it, this this process that she was teaching to clients and it was the three steps do nothing that was the first step so what if you actually just did nothing you were presented either with a problem you didn't know what you wanted to do you didn't know who you wanted to be how about you just did nothing for a minute right our innate response is to do everything right so just do nothing then you got to do something so the something is start to get the wheels in motion because you've done nothing for long enough maybe half a day maybe a day maybe a week maybe a month that you've now got this new clarity and perspective or you're seeing things slightly different. And then the third part of it was do some do something different. So do pretty much a 180 on what you're currently doing. Because if you if what you're currently doing isn't getting you where you want to go, you literally need to do a 180 and go mm. the other way. Right. So I it just resonated so much with me that now when I am faced with a problem or a challenge or creating something new, I really think the do nothing and then do the 180 really works. So I guess that's something else I teach my mentees as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Nat. And thank you for everything you do. I know people are going to get a lot out of this chat. So thank you so much. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. A special thanks to Nick Baldwin, our audio engineer. Please subscribe for more episodes and you can catch up on eps you may have missed. Reviews and sharing this independent podcast with your friends and on your Instagram stories helps so much in spreading the self-love message to others who may need it. You can find the Self-Love Club resources and blog posts on my website, bellcrawford.com. And you can follow me at bellcrawford on Instagram. Love hearing from you. Also, we have launched the Self-Love Club community on Facebook where you can connect with other members around the world. We've got heaps of boss babes coming up to empower you through the rest of the year with weekly episodes available each Monday. Like Jenny, the founder of Federation, next week, another episode with Gaia after that, and heaps more. Catch you soon, babes.